The gospel lesson for this 20th Sunday after Trinity is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 50. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As a child, in Sunday school and at Zion Lutheran Church in Tioga, North Dakota, I remember watching a series of film strips entitled Parables of Nature. Any of you ever watch any of the film strips? Younger people are saying, what in the world is a film strip? I've never forgotten those. Corky the Crow, Bruzo the Beaver, and well, there were others too. But the thing that really stuck with me from the time I was a child, well, two things. First of all, the definition that they gave of a parable is, is one that I think is just about as good as any I've ever heard. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Secondly, I came to realize very early in life that the parables of Jesus were special. That he used them in order to make deep spiritual truths understandable. To bring them down to my level and put them within my limited grasp. And because of that, the parables have long been among my favorite portions in all of Scripture. And I consider them to be special treasures. Now, our text for today consists of three short parables at the end of a series of seven that are recorded in Matthew chapter 13. They're commonly referred to as the kingdom parables because all but the very first one begin with the phrase, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, and then goes on to give explanation. We can deduce several important truths from these kingdom parables. First of all, we can know with assurance that God wants us to know about his kingdom or he wouldn't have shared them. Secondly, we can also realize and and rejoice that God wants us to be part of his kingdom. Again, these parables are, are invitations to us to come into this kingdom, to be a part of it and to serve Jesus as our Lord and Master. Finally, God wants us to realize the pricelessness of this kingdom and of, by his grace, possessing a place in this kingdom. These 
parables, I think especially the three we're studying this morning, display its wealth in such an impressive way. And from the specific parables we're studying this morning, we can also learn several things. We can learn, first of all, how the kingdom is discovered. And it seems like they're two completely opposite things. One is that sometimes the kingdom of God is, is, is discovered quite by accident. Like the farmer who's out plowing in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, this is not a fairy tale story. This is something that happened quite regularly in Jesus' day. In his day, people of means... People of fortune, if you will, commonly divided their fortunes into three roughly equal portions. A third was kept to use for business. A third was converted into uh, precious gems. And another third was often hidden somewhere. And sometimes in places that they didn't even own because they thought it would be hidden better in that way. Now, note here that the man in the parable is not looking for hidden treasure. From his perspective, he chanced upon it. In fact, I'm sure that he thought it was probably, you know, a stump or something else like that, something worthless, something just to get in his way, something just to make life miserable for him. Now I've got to stop and I've got to dig this out. You know, I'm sure he's kind of complaining to himself. But, and I picture it in a box. It may have been in a, in a bag, but I don't think bags last as long as boxes do. So, and, and this is a lot of money, obviously. So I think it was in a box. And he finally unearths the box and lifts it up and looks at it. And he's utterly amazed. In fact, as I picture this in my own mind's eye, I think the first thing he does when he opens this is he goes, <gasps> and then the second thing I think he does is I think he starts looking around to see if anybody else has seen him, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? <sighs> Nobody did. Wow. So what does he do? Buries it and goes on plowing the field? Uh-uh. No, no, no. He goes and sells everything he has to raise as much in the way of resources as he can so that he can buy this field. Because if he buys the field, he gets the treasure too. (laughs) You know, many people, maybe more in our day than, than in other previous generations, people aren't looking for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Even in Jesus' day, people like Zacchaeus, why did he go out to see Jesus? Just to see Jesus. He wasn't looking to get membership, if you will, in the kingdom of heaven. The woman at the well, all she was doing was going out to get water in the middle of the day so she wouldn't have to face crowds. I'm sure she was probably disappointed when Jesus met her there and then had the encounter that he did which changed her life. But she wasn't looking for it to happen. Perhaps there are even some right here today 
Yeah, you're in a church. You're listening to a sermon. But the fact of the matter is, you're not really interested. You're just here. Maybe you have to be here. My prayer is that you might see the kingdom of heaven for what it is. A treasure even greater than the one that that farmer found in the field. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum, there are some who sometimes by searching find the great prize or treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, this is a merchant. This is a man who knew pearls. And he was diligently searching for the finest that he could find. And one day, and I think it was, you know, I mean, he was, he was diligently looking. And yet, I think he would have been completely surprised as he looked at that pearl and realized, this is it. This is it. My life search is done. This is the finest pearl possible. And there are many in our day who are searching for pearls. Maybe the pearl for them is great wealth or power over people. Maybe the pearl of great price for some is beauty. Maybe some are a little more, uh, what, what would I say, um, noble. They're looking for world peace or social justice or even the ultimate religion. They're searching. But many of them are not searching in the right places. You know, in Jesus' day, the pearl was the most valuable gem in the world. They believed that pearls were formed by the dew of heaven. And and it's also recorded in history that Cleopatra earned one valued at several million dollars. Now imagine what it would have been like in her day. Just an incredible fortune in that one pearl. And that's what the man found. This merchant discovered it. Nothing like it that he'd ever seen. Now in both cases, they both examined the kingdom. Whether they chanced upon it or whether they had searched for it, both men were awed by what they found. The farmer is most likely a tenant since he didn't own the field that he was working. But can you imagine him out in that field inspecting that treasury on earth? I always kind of, or already kind of played it out in what I see in my own mind. But, but what a thing. What a thing. On a day that was like so many others, he goes out, bumps into this, I mean, if the plow would have been two feet to the other direction, he probably would have plowed right by it, right? And yet, when he found it, he hurriedly put it back in the hole, covered it up, tried to, you know, camouflage it or whatever, and then went off looking to buy it. 
The merchant, as I said, was looking for the finest pearl. I think that his search was diligent and intensive, and it paid off. One day he came upon it, and his trained eye told him that he would never, ever see anything like it again. This is something his eye would never behold. And can you imagine him as he inspected that pearl? For both men, what they found were the treasures of a lifetime, treasures valuable beyond their wildest dreams. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what God's kingdom is like. This is how valuable it is. Now, what do we mean then when we speak of the kingdom of heaven here and now? And why is it so valuable? Well, theologians speak of the kingdom of God, first of all, as a kingdom of grace. And what do I mean by that? A kingdom of grace? Well, it's a kingdom to which we can belong, but which, but, but one that we don't belong or deserve to belong to it. Paul, or, yeah, Paul in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, as he prays, he, he says he gives thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Belonging to the kingdom of heaven involves the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And all of this is made possible only by the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it includes then a release from guilt for those sins. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it involves new, truly spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That grace is something special, isn't it? be made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. The great grace of God bringing salvation to us. And the kingdom of heaven then also includes or involves citizenship in God's forever kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul writes in Philippians 3, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he further declares of this kingdom that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, on this side of of the experience of his grace that has made me his child, I'll take righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit over anything that you might want to give me. And it is so costly. And because it is so costly, more costly than anything else, then it needs to be valued above all else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, distinguishes between what he calls cheap grace and costly grace. He writes, and I quote, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, or baptism without church discipline, or communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, for which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace Because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our lives, but delivered him up for us. That's well put. And the treasure of new life in the kingdom of heaven is offered to us through the gospel. Secondly, we learn of the kingdom that it is an eternal kingdom. While this world and its kingdoms will pass away, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, will continue forever. We're moving closer and closer to the end of the church year, and then we'll move into Advent, and you'll hear these verses several times, I'm sure, not only from me, but from others too. From Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let me read that again. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You think of God as being zealous? He is zealous to establish his kingdom, to bring it to us, and to change our lives radically and permanently 
And the kingdom of God then will also undergo, undergo, undergo excuse me, a radical change itself. The kingdom of grace, as I talked about it earlier, will become a kingdom of glory when Jesus returns. And all who are part of the kingdom of grace will then be changed. And when, and when the kingdom becomes the kingdom of glory, they will be changed to participate in it. And it's exclusive and it's inclusive at the same time. Because only those who become part of the kingdom of grace will share in it as the kingdom of glory. And that's the teaching of the parable of the dragnet at the end of of these three uh, parables. But I ask you this morning, have you examined the treasure offered to you in the gospel? Have you come to realize its unequaled value? Then all that is left is to make that yours. We think thirdly here of the kingdom of heaven secured. See, finding and examining the treasures were not enough for the farmer or for the merchant. They knew that they had to make those treasures theirs no matter what the cost. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven must become our most prized possession. How do you get it? You sell all. Both men had to do it. You know what? That's the only fair way. Some of you may be wealthier than me. Some of you a lot less. But if we all have to give everything, it's equal, isn't it? It's equal. But we're not called to give money. We're not called to buy it in that way. Because it isn't on the basis of our doing or our qualifying for it. How do you get it? You sell all as both men had to. But in Jesus' teaching here, he is not teaching that we work our way into the kingdom of God. The Greek word that is translated as sell all in our English translations literally means to transfer one's devotion or to become a slave to. You see, your devotion, my devotion is our only saleable commodity. And you know what? It's all that God wants from each of us. To possess the kingdom, we transfer all of our devotion to him and nothing less will make the kingdom ours. Buy is used in scripture to describe the purchase. But what it really describes is faith. And faith we learn in Ephesians 2 is a gift of God. From the formula of Concord we read, through this means, namely the preaching and hearing of his word, God is active, breaks our hearts, and draws man so that through the preaching of the law, man learns to know his sin and the wrath of God and experiences genuine terror, contrition, and sorrow in his heart. And through the preaching of and meditation upon the holy gospel of the gracious forgiveness of sins in Christ, there is kindled in him a spark of faith which accepts the forgiveness of sins for, God, or for Christ's sake and conforms itself with the promise of the gospel. And in this way, the Holy Spirit who works all of this is introduced into the heart. I love this invitation from Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread or your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Come and buy without money. Again, it's simply an exercise of the gift of faith that we might claim for ourselves this treasure of treasures, this pearl of great price, this which will change us forever and allow us to live in his kingdom, in his presence for eternity. Ah, uh, <laughs> Each of these men sold everything they had. Did either of them get cheated? That's almost laughable to think about, isn't it? They didn't get cheated. They got the bargain of their lives. And the gift of the kingdom of heaven is the treasure of treasures for each and every one of his children. Can you imagine either of those men walking away from those treasures, the farmer hiding the treasure back in the field and then continuing to farm over it for the rest of his life? Talk about ridiculous. Or or that merchant. (laughs) Finding that pearl of great price and saying, wow, isn't that beautiful? And then walking out the door and just leaving it there. That's ridiculous. Bonhoeffer says, the gain of the kingdom is so great that repentance and renunciation become a joy. My friend, to walk away from the treasure of the heavenly kingdom of God, offered to you and to me today through the gospel, and to settle for anything less is even more ridiculous than for the farmer or the merchant to walk away from the treasures they found. Those who reject the kingdom are the foolish ones. But don't forget that final parable because the parable of the dragnet teaches us that time for securing this treasure is limited. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The the net, friends, represents time. And the, the net surrounds us all. No one evades it. And it draws us ever closer to the last day. And on that day when Jesus returns, there will indeed be a separation of believers from non-believers. Those who know Christ and possess the heavenly treasure by his grace will be gathered together to spend eternity with him. And those who don't know him as Savior, who don't possess the heavenly treasure by faith, will be cast out from his presence for eternity. And that's why Jesus admonishes us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We need to recognize the urgency to heed this call. 
Seek the treasure. Preserve your treasure. Because possessing Christ is eternal gain. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the great treasure that the gospel is that would bring us into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom, the, t- the kingdom that you will use to, it, to change us so that we might be able to fully participate in it. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.